This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 212. And the quote of the day is from Gene Jarrus, who said, Tradition does not mean to look after the ash, but to keep the flame alive. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I hope everybody's doing well. And as you're listening to this, I'm somewhere uh, floating on the sea, somewhere between Guatemala and Colombia and uh, Mexico or somewhere around there. So uh, pre-recording this a little bit, but I hope things are cool on your end. And if you are just tuning into the podcast or if you've never listened before or you just started listening, I want to let you know all 212 episodes are at drummersresource.com. Only the most recent 50 are on iTunes. And there's a long-winded reason behind that, but just know that. And also, you can search for any artist that you want to find right there on the right-hand side at drummersresource.com. While you're there, sign up for the mailing list and I'll send you a copy of my ebook, which is Stick Control Variations. And it's 11 creative exercises to help you with your speed, your chops, your independence. And it's a downloadable PDF. I'll send you 100% free once you sign up for the mailing list. So let's get into this interview today. So this interview is with Justin Faulkner. And Justin may, some of you may know who he is, some of you may not know who he is, but Justin is the real deal and but he's young. He's 25 years old and has been on the scene for a long time. He's been playing professionally since he was 13. And I tell the story of how I first heard Justin's playing on an album and was floored, just absolutely insanely blown away. And he's an amazing player, a great humble guy and shares the stage with the who's who in the jazz world. And right now he is in Branford Marsalis's band and has played with a slew of other big, big name jazz artists. And we talk all about that in this interview. So I'm happy for those of you who have never heard of him before to introduce you to Justin, because I'm, I really think you need to check him out because he is absolutely amazing and totally making a name for himself out there and is just a phenomenal player. So, and he's from Philly, my hometown. So I love him for that. So let's get into it with the one and only Justin Faulkner. Justin, my man, my Philly, my Philly family. How are you? I'm great, man, dude. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Absolutely, man. It's great. I, man, I'm always, I always try to get the Philly guys. Like I got, Brian Fraser Moore, crazy. I got Jr. Uh, crazy. Got Byron. I haven't gotten Quest yet, but soon come. I'm sure. I'm I'm trying. I just hit him up on Twitter all the time, and I'm like, maybe one day he'll respond. <laughs> right, big. So, big. um, so I I became known. Uh, I, or I found out about you and your playing. I was recording. So I worked out of the music center in Exton, where you recorded okay. with uh with Lee Smith. Right, right, and. The Glenn Farrakhan, the drummer, he was like, man, you got to just, here, just listen to this record. And he's like, just listen to the drummer. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, wow, this guy's amazing. And he's like, yeah. And he's like 22 or something. You were young when you recorded that record. I mean, that was. Yeah, yeah. How long ago was that? I guess, uh, depending on which one, it may have been either two or three years ago. At it this was, point. Uh, what was the name? Pocket. Wow, what was it? Something. Was it like sitting in a secret or sitting on a secret or something? Sitting like on that? a secret. 
Yes, that was more than that was more than two years ago. That was definitely three or four years ago. That's crazy. I think it was like, I think it was like five or six. Maybe <laughs> it was a while ago. Because <laughs> I've lived, I've I've lived, I moved out of Philly uh, in like 2012. Okay, and I had it before then. So wow. And okay. either way, the record is amazing. Your playing is amazing, and wow. uh, and so let's get into it, man. Like, how did you? How did you start? I know you're from Philly. Right. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about about your backstory before we talk about all the stuff that you're doing now. Okay. Um, so let's see. So initially, I started um, playing the drums because I saw this guy hitting on these tubs in church, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I would always go to my mother and ask her for you know some sort of musical thing because she's a pianist as well. Okay. And so. Um, well, not as well, but she's a pianist because I can't play at all. But um, she's a pianist. Look, man, and... I played for nine years, like did the recital thing and all that. <laughs> right. <laughs> and now Mary had a little lamb, if I'm like. Dude, exactly. I'm like, I mean, that's my fault. Go ahead. And we're not to, no. we're not here to talk about me. We're here. No, to no, no, man. This is two-way street completely. Um. So what happens is, yeah, I asked her for a drum and she saw that I really wanted one. So she bought me this like little blue, yellow and red Fisher Price drum with like the sticks connected to it. Mm-hmm. How old were you at the time? I was maybe about I want to say three or four. Mm-hmm. And I mean, everybody in my family is like really musically inclined in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's from a formal sense or from just like an aural sense, where they kind of just learned to play by ear, or they learned to sing, or whatever the case may have been. So, um, you know, we all used to beat on this drum, and my mother saw that I really liked playing on this drum and so i got some sticks from um a gentleman at my church uh named uh benjamin martin actually and gave me a pair of sticks and he was my pastor's son and so i brought home those sticks and i used to carry them in my little like barney book bag everywhere i went like i mean i'd go to church i'd go to people's performances like little shows around my area i had my sticks in my book bag and so i had an early stick bag little did i know um so yeah fast forward a little bit uh, my mother saw that I really wanted to play, so then she bought me this drum set called Rock the World. And I rocked it, and I beat holes through every single head, which weren't interchangeable. So she had to buy me another kit. And once she bought that kit, she saw that I really wanted to play. And uh, she bought me a camber cymbal and uh, a drum set. that Maybe it was like First Act or something like that from... Um, I'm trying to think of the name of the music store. It's in... Um, it's in, like, right outside of Philly. It's a guy named Jay. Oh, man, I forget his name. Mr. Jay was awesome. Like, he was one of the most influential cats early on for me because he was a rock dude, but he just it knew. It's not in media, is it? It might be. Or in Ardmore? Uh, uh, let me think. Um, I think it closed. What the heck was it called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it was in Frankfurt, actually. Maybe. I, uh, I can't okay. remember. I'm thinking of, there's there was a place... It was a place on the main line in Ardmore. Right. I think it was called Ardmore Music, actually. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's and that a place one. closed. Okay. Ma- okay. Matter of fact, this one was in Frankfurt because it was like not too far from Guitar Center. Ah, I got I mean, like, not Guitar Center, Sam Ash. Okay. So, um, anywho. So, you know, I'd go up there and I'd talk to him and my mother would, uh, you know, always let me go downstairs. And so the first pair of real sticks that I owned was a pair of Vic Firth 5As, which interestingly enough i still play today hmm. but um yeah he gave me a pair of five a's and he told me you always need a chrome snare in your arsenal and a pair of five a's and you can never go wrong i'm like okay cool hmm. and actually still to this day 
I remember that. And that is still the case for me. So, um, yeah. So, so after that, I started, uh, I started school and, uh, there was this program that settlement music school implemented at my uh, elementary school, which is Harrington elementary in West Philly. And they gave students, uh, music lessons. And so, you know, there's this guy named John Kilkenny that used to come in and teach us how to read music. So, you know, we were working out of like the Alfred's uh, method book for like the first book for snare drum. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was taught how to read quarter notes and and eighth notes and so forth. You know, I learned all of my rudiments or the basic ones at that point. And um, then I started playing the flute as well. That didn't last very long. And then uh, they saw that I really wanted to play. I had been playing in the ensemble at school that um, this woman named Miss Deborah Williams, who used to be the music director there, but she was also like the quote unquote expressive arts teacher, which was really cool. Like she covered dance and a bunch of other stuff, choral music. Mm -hmm. So uh, I started singing in school in the choir, but then I also started playing drums. And I was like, I've always been the youngest guy in almost every group that I'm in whether that's a plus or, or, or a downfall, whatever the case may be, it's been awesome. So, um, yeah, like they saw that I really wanted to play and they offered me a scholarship to settlement music school in Philly. Um, and so I started studying there and I've had nothing but insane teachers from that point on. Like I studied with, uh, this really great percussionist named Darcy Timberman, who's also a jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of she left after that summer session to s- play in like Siberia or Serbia or somewhere like I, I I was too young to like really know where she was talking about at the time. But she got a job playing with a major orchestra. So she left Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Then I started studying with um, who, someone who is kind of a um, staple in the percussion community in Philadelphia and Pennsylvania in general. Uh, Sue Jones, like one of the greatest educators to ever live. Mm-hmm. Um, I started studying with her and she kind of passed me on to uh, a drum teacher that has tons of great material out. Um, and he used to study with Joe Morello. His name is Sam Ruttenberg. And um, this is all still through settlement. And so from there, I was asked to... Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah. They started asking me, you know, what did, what did I want my main principal instrument to be? Classical percussion or, or drum set? And I chose drum set because it was kind of my passion at that point. And so we started going through some books. Uh, and in the back of the Alfred's Method book for drum set, the first one, they had jazz back there. And I had already been playing gospel music a little bit, but not really uh, in church because I don't think I was really good enough to do so at the time. Right. Um. And I saw the word jazz. I'm like, oh, man, this seems kind of cool. And so then shortly after, at my school, they uh, th- they would talk about jazz, and we were doing a history of jazz study at that point. Wait, were so, you saying, like, the word jazz seemed cool? Yes. Or were you, really? Yes, the word jazz. I'm like, this, <laughs> nice. oh, this, this is, this is kind of killing. Like, jazz? Okay, I like, cool. okay. And, and, and the thing that I failed to say was that my parents have been listening to jazz forever, forever. Like, I mean, my parents played jazz, R&B, Tons of like old school music, like classical music. I mean, they played everything in my house. So, I mean, it wasn't as though jazz was unfamiliar to me in any way, shape or form. I just thought it was cool that it was in my book. It's like, oh, man, yeah, that old people music is really nice. Sweet. Yeah, let's do that. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, we started playing in it. And actually, this was in uh, Mrs. Miss Jones's class. 
So she was like, you know, I'm not a jazz drummer, but I can surely, you know, show you the way it's notated. So we started playing it. And then she saw that I wanted to play jazz. And she said, you want your principal instrument to be drums? I said, sure. So she sent me to Sam Ruttenberg and he was kind of like the jazz drum teacher at Settlement. And so side note, isn't that the guy who invented the, the hinge stick? Precisely. Yeah. And, and that, that was, name sounded familiar. Yeah, that was that was actually developed during our lessons. That was like it was really cool. And I mean, it's from the teachings of uh, Joe Morello and also right. some of the stuff that that we went over, you know, in like the accents and rebound book and stick control. And that book so is forth. so hard, man. Dude, it's rough. The accents and rebounds, like you absolutely. look at it and you're like, oh, this is, and then you start playing it and you're like, yep. mm, mm -hmm. okay, true, true. And so, so I'll, and I'll for the people who don't know what the hinge stick is, I'll I'll put links in in there. And he, I think he like sold it or licensed it to Vic Firth. To Vic Firth, absolutely. It's basically a stick with a hole in it, and, and it has like a plastic a, piece in a it. A wheel, yep. A wheel, and it and you can, and it's a pivot point. But I'll I'll put links and stuff like that in the show notes so that people can check it out. It's a really cool stick. But anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, sweet. No, no worries. Um, so I uh, yeah, we started going through that stuff, and so around the corner from my house, um, and I lived in West Philly at the time as well. There was a really great jazz singer in Philadelphia by the name of Denise King, who used to have these this um friday jazz series every friday during the summer starting from like june ending in september and um there was a drummer named lucky thompson that was playing you know in her band and he he has been her drummer for 20 years something like that mm -hmm. and um he was playing and he had this small bass drum and i'm like dad what is this and i'm like i, I can't stand this stuff i i, I don't want to hear this again i'm this is the same thing that I'm learning right. in, in, out of the book. But like, ah, oh, yeah, this old people music, it's, it doesn't work for me. And so then my mother would, I mean, she would be playing like just great stuff in the house. And I'm just, oh, this is kind of cool. No, but I can't play this stuff. This is old people music. Right. So fast forward, um, I became a really, I, well, I fell in love with that old people music. Um, I started hearing more and more records and, you know, my parents started buying more and more records and playing them in the house, like 24 seven in the car. You know, like I started listening to return to forever, started listening to uh, weather report, started listening to yellow jackets initially with Will Kennedy, then transferring over to um, Marcus Baylor. Um, and yeah, like we would just listen to tons of stuff like Ralph McDonald stuff. Um, was there anywho um so yeah so i started listening to those records so i'm like you know maybe this is really something i should pursue right because in learn and just learn how to play it so then my parents bought kind of blue for me and that changed everything yeah that'll do it it just messed me up i mean jimmy cobb is just he's the king like <laughs> he's, he's the king like i mean incredible symbol sound like just understanding of groove i mean it was deep i can't like, it blows my mind how much he drives that record without doing anything yeah you know what i mean and not, when i say not doing anything i don't mean i don't mean it like that but i mean just like it's it, it's like i don't even know what to say about that record yeah so it's, it's just amazing and you listen and every time i listen to it it's that much better than the time i listened to it before agreed it's insane agreed so it's Anybody listening, get if you haven't listened to Kind of Blue and like really listen to it, mm -hmm. go put it on repeat for six months. Yeah, absolutely, or for like the rest of your life. Because yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of like 
you know, everyone kind of refers to James Brown for, um, you know, like figuring out how to play in the pocket. Mm -hmm. And like, for me, this is one of my pocket records. It's just like, if you want to learn how to swing and just sit and simmer and sizzle with like a slow burning flame under the bandstand, that's the record. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's great. But, um, yeah. So then, uh, fast forward from there. Um, I really wanted to start playing. So I started um, playing in this group called the Kimmel Center Youth Jazz Ensemble. And um, I had been kind of doing some stuff in Philly in general, like, you know, little young people's uh, gigs. And um, yeah, so I started playing in the Kimmel Center. And one of the greatest music educators on this planet, Mr. Mark Johnson, was the uh, director of this group. And I started this when I was in sixth grade. And I mean, his mind when it comes to music is something that's actually unexplainable. I believe that he's a genius. Hmm. I mean, like the way that he um, adapted so many different cultures and so many different walks of life and so many different uh, aspects of music into the context of a jazz ensemble, which then, you know, afforded us the opportunity to meet some of, you know, the biggest names in music, but also some of the most influential names, you know, like we had the opportunity to meet John Faddis. We had the opportunity to meet, um, uh, Danilo Perez. And, you know, interestingly enough, all of these names would kind of come full circle later on in this part of my life, which I'm dealing with now, but I'll get there in a second. Um, so yeah, so so one of the concerts that we were actually given the opportunity to go check out was the Brantford Marcellus Quartet. <laughs> and mm. uh and it was interesting because um Brantford and the guys played Spider-Man at the children's concert. Mm-hmm. And I was just floored. I'm like, wait, hold on. This is way too cool for the no, there's no way this is happening. You guys are so, you're playing Spider-Man and swinging. Oh, this is awesome. So Again, that just kind of pushed me into the direction that I'm in now. And um, shortly after that, I was playing in the house and this guy named, uh, well, was a great bassist, uh, was was driving down the street because he's also a uh, vintage and custom clothing uh, uh, stylist. Ah. And he was delivering some garments to a client and he knocked on my door as I'm playing and he says, whoa, 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 wait. Who, who is that playing? He says this to my parents. And my parents are like, oh, yeah, 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 you know, this is uh my son. He's like, oh, man, can I meet him? And so <laughs> then I go to the door. I'm like, hey, how you doing, sir? And he looks at me. He's like, there is no way that's you. Oh, no, no, no. I'm like, um, <laughs> yeah, that's me. How old were you? I was 13. Right. And I'm like, no, this is me. You know, this is kind of what I do. I live here. So uh, his name is Jamal Dean Takuma, and he's, again, like one of the one of the great bass players in in the world. I mean, played with Ornette Coleman for a while. Played. He has a group. Well, had a group called the Freeform Funky Freaks, where he played with uh, G. Calvin Weston and Vernon Reed from mm. uh, from um, Living Color. And uh, I ended up playing with Jamal Adin for almost a year and a half straight every Friday, and I made seventy bucks at the age of thirteen, which meant that I was. Richer than all of my friends, <laughs> which was so dope. It was it was amazing, and so uh, yeah, every week it was it was it was awesome. And so um, yeah. So fast forward there, 
I checked out, um, I'm listening to a bunch of records still, you know, started playing um, some old school funk because that was kind of coming into my life at the time. Um, and I really started checking out this uh, guy named Dexter Wanzel, who's another Philadelphia legend. Um, and in the course of all of this, I'm getting called by like all of the Philadelphia old heads, which was really cool. Right. And and I mean old head in the highest regard. Like these were like the gatekeepers and elders of the Philadelphia sure. jazz scene. Sure. And um, yeah, like, like I mean, Tim I, Warfield and like yeah, all those guys. I mean, even older actually. Like I mean, I got started getting called by Booty Barnes, nice. uh, Sam Reed. Um, I got called by uh, this organist named Lumpy King. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a pile of older guys that took an interest in me, which was really, really cool. And then uh, through them and also through uh, my program at school, which then I had uh, graduated from Harrington and I was going to GAMP, Gerard Academic Music Program. Um, yeah, from there, I just started meeting a bunch of musicians like Uri Kane came into school and did a master class, who's you know another Philly legend. Uh, and then Mr. Odin Pope actually started to kind of take me under his wing and uh yeah i was playing you know gigs in areas and places that technically i wouldn't be able to um get into mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh you know and then then from there um i'm playing at the i'm playing at the clef club pretty often and from the clef club i started playing again at settlement because i was still studying there and i met a gentleman by the name of Oren evans and i think at this point is kind of when everything went into hyperdrive and a lot of it, I still can't believe happened enough in the way that it did. Um, so you're yeah, playing with Oren and in that ensemble, he kind of, uh, in a way he, he used to say, Hey man, you know, listen, I got this gig for you in New York. I'm like, in New York, dude, I'm 15 years old. Right. I How can't, am I, I can't play it. Well, no, no, not even that. Because I mean, at that time, my mother and father were taking me to all of my gigs. Right. And like and I was playing pretty often, like I would play at least like for, you know, a 14, 15 year old kid. I'd have like three to four gigs a month. Nice. And, and you're, are you are you like the man when you walk into school? You're like, what'd you do this weekend? You're like, I hung out at this bar. Not yet. <laughs> Not it, that that didn't really kick in until I turned 16. Right. But like, it, it, you know, at first my friends, are, because they're all still kind of like like really, really young. And, and and so was I. Like, you know, my friends are like, oh, I'm having a birthday party. I'm like, yeah, I can't come. I have a gig. And right. they're like, they're like, what's a gig? I'm like, yeah, I just I have I have to go play somewhere. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And I mean it's an it's an it's a musically inclined school. So everyone kind of digs That's it, right. that stuff. So um so yeah, I'm playing with with these people and then like I said, Oren says, Yeah, man, you know, I have this gig in New York with uh this great singer named J D. Walter. I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. I'm I'm down to do it. And, you know, I'm still in awe of the fact that, like, he knows all of the people that he knows. Like, you know, he's like, man, yeah, I'm, I'm going to play Stevie Wonder's birthday party with Ray Hargrove. I'm like, what? Oh, you know Ray Hargrove? He's like, know him. He's amazing. He's like my boy. He's like, he's like my brother. I'm like, oh, this is crazy. And I mean, you know, I'm starting to look at his record collection. And, you know, at the time, I think he had out like maybe 15 or 16 records and had been recording records since he was 19. And he was in his 30s at the time. And so, um, I mean, you know, he had everybody on them. He had Edgar mm. Bateman. He had Nasheed Waits. He had um, drummer wise, at least like this is he, he had, you know, Eric Revis, who is, you know, the bassist in Brantford's band and also like one of my big brothers now. Um, I mean, J.D. Allen, uh, let me 
let's see who else. Um, Byron Landham, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he just had everyone on his record. So I'm like, dude, how'd you pull this off? And actually, Bradford's on one of them with Rodney Green as well. So anywho, um, so we did this gig in New York. And uh, <laughs> we did actually a few of them. One at the Blue Note, which was pretty deep for me. Because some of my favorite drummers came to the show to check me out. And I'm like, oh, man. And I mean, and, and that sounds kind of like arrogant to say and i do apologize if that's the case I, no like, i don't, I don't but it that. it was pretty crazy to like see you know like at the time one of my favorite drummers was obed calvera because um like sean jones uh had Orin in his band at the time so i'm like man obed calvera and montez coleman who was playing drums at roy hargrove at the time are like in the blue note watching us play and then james hurt who's also a great pianist from uh, new york was there hanging out and then I got a chance to hang out with Donald Edwards, who's like one of my favorite drummers of all time. And Mark Kelly, who's now the basis for the roots. Like, I mean, I'm sitting there hanging with these cats. Like we're going out, checking out the people next door. I'm like, this is not happening. Like I'm in New York at like the blue note. Right. This is crazy. So. And you're, and you're not there I mean, as a, as a civilian, like you're <laughs> part of the I'm playing in the van. Right. And actually, matter of fact, Mark Kelly was on the gig with us. It was Mark Kelly, a uh, great saxophone player, Brian Hogan's, and um, I believe a really good friend of mine's tap dancer, uh, Brene Ali, was tap dancing. And again, full circle, first time, Miss Denise King, who had mm. the jazz series, is singing with us. So I'm just like, man, I can't believe that this is going on the way that it's going on. Like, wow. So um there's a like literally there's a lot of stuff that happened in between there but sure. fast forward a little bit um so i then went on tour with oren and the gentleman jd walter and um we went to Kharkov, ukraine and it was my first time going to europe and i was 16 years old and i missed i think like a day of school because it was it was a weekend jazz festival mm-hmm. and i mean i'm like Dude, I'm in Europe. Like, this is crazy. Like, I'm 16. I like what? This is nuts. I can't. Like, why do? Why do they want me? And so, uh, fast forward a little bit more. That same year, I got a phone call. Well, my my grandmother got a phone call from Branford Marcellus asking me to um, play with him and to sub for the great Jeff Tain Watts, which was also insane because I had just seen them the year before because they had released their, or, or maybe two years before they had released their record eternal and they were touring during that period. And my, my mother took me to the show. It was a uh, Joshua Redman's trio with Ali Jackson playing drums and Reginald Veal playing bass. And then Bradford's band with Jeff Tane Watts playing. And nice. it was sick. Where was that? At the Kimmel center. Yeah. And it was nuts. I'm like, yo, this is again, can't believe it. And I got a chance to meet everybody. Um, and then, um, yeah, all of the concerts that I've kind of seen at the Kimmel Center, oddly enough, in the short amount of time that I've been playing on the scene, I've played with all of them, That's which is crazy. I mean, I did. I, I was blessed to do a record with uh, Mr. Ornette Coleman before he passed away. I got a chance to see him at the Kimmel Center. Uh, I've played with Mr. John Faddis, and I was blessed to see him at the Kimmel Center. I mean, like literally every hero that Everybody. I've seen... I've played with and it's like how does this happen i mean the mingus big band like i played with them every week for or not every week but pretty often for almost two years and i mean you know and that was also during the 16 year old period 
And uh, I got a chance to play with uh, the the actor on Empire, Terrence Howard. I used to be his drummer for a while. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, <Sorry. laughs> it was pretty fun. Uh, did the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show, which is awesome. So uh, yeah, it was. What does was... what does Terrence play? Terrence is a guitarist and a singer. Oh, okay. okay. And um, stuff is interesting. Is like, you know, a, a cross of like singer songwriter folky meets like kind of old school british pop almost it's it's it's, really? it's it's interesting yeah it's kind of and i mean and because he has like you know one of those artistic minds where he kind of sees these things like i just remember him talking about like a little girl holding a flower and like you know because the, the song was called love makes you beautiful anyways uh, it's like the, his mind was like that so he would describe what he wanted us to play and it's just like oh okay cool i wouldn't have thought of it like that but huh let's do it now i gotta check out some of his stuff yeah yeah it's it you'll 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 dig it i think you'll dig it nice but um yeah so fast forward after the gig with Branford, a year and a half later he calls me again and he asked me to sub again for tane um and i start playing with him and and literally the day that he asked me to join the band and the guys had kind of decided that i should join the band was my 18th birthday wow and um yeah, a lot of stuff happened in, in between like 16 and 18, but right. we could be here for a while, which is, which is a blessing to even be able to say. So, right. This session is brought to you by my good friends at DW Drums and do yourself a favor, check out what they got going on at DWDrums.com. And if you're in LA, go up to the factory. It's a 45 minutes north of, of LA in Oxnard and you can walk through the factory, see how they make their drums, but they also are running you know they they're making gretch now and they're they're they have lp and all of these other great brands underneath one umbrella and they're just a great company they're a great group of people and i can't say enough about them enough good things about them i should say so you can learn all about them at dwdrums.com also, if you ever have an issue with your sticks sliding out of your hands, you may want to check out Promark's new Active Grip technology. They just put it on the new Rich Redmond stick, the new Rich Redmond signature stick, I should say, and the new Mike Portnoy signature stick. And this Active Grip technology gets tackier as your hands heat up, so it creates you know a non-slip surface on the stick, which is really cool. They just came out with this. And you can learn all about the Active Grip technology, Mike Portnoy's new stick, and Rich Redmond's new stick at Promark. Dot com. Now let's get back into it with Justin Faulkner. I want to talk a little bit about sort of your development and how quickly you developed. Uh, like you said, the guy's knocking on your door and you're 13 years old. And he's like, there's no way that that's you playing. So part of it's God-given talent. but 100%. But... I'm I'm a firm believer that there's talent and then there's skill. So if you had all this God-given talent, but you didn't do anything to to practice and really hone that skill, I don't think you'd be where you are where you are now. It didn't just happen. You put a lot of work into it. So what was what was sort of your practice routine like, and what are some of the things that you really practiced that you think accelerated you so quickly? Okay, um, I mean, I think one of the other elements of the, the the blessing that I received from God, like with my playing, is that um, I can usually listen to a song once or twice and get to the gist of the melody at least, mm-hmm. and and also like a nice amount of the drum part. 
And um, so in other words, like I, I think I have a gift of retention in a way that like I can get to the to the gist of the song pretty fast. But um, well, I'll get to that to that because that's also a downfall. But um, yeah, I used to I used to just shed to records. Like, I mean, you know, my, my parents would buy something and I'd play to that or I'd play to a gospel record. You know, like John P. Key was a very heavy influence for me early on. And so, you know, I'd play to his record. Uh, I think it's called Show Up. And, you know, I practiced rudiments, even though I didn't really think that helped at the time. But I knew I had to do it because I had lessons. And, you know, my mother was paying for these lessons and I didn't want to get in trouble. So I would practice rudiments. I would go through my method books and you know, check out these different exercises that they would give me. Like I used to work out of um, the syncopation book by Ted Reed and also the uh, George Stone um, stick control book quite heavily. Like I think that that kind of helped me uh, build the muscle memory to play a lot of the stuff that I play now. Mm -hmm. Meaning like, you know, there's this one um, exercise in stick control that is actually, you know, in terms of notation, uh, one of like Elvin Jones's like phrases that he would play often, and it, and little did I know that I was being prepared for that. So I also think that there was kind of like some sort of divine um, path that I was put on from all of my teachers that I didn't really understand then. Um, right, it sort of built everything up for you. Right, you didn't know really what was going on. Right, exactly. And um, and I was also studying marimba and timpani at the time too. And um, I was really blessed to study with um, the uh, uh, the principal timpanist of the Philadelphia Orchestra, Mr. Don Liuzzi. And um, then I was in also the orchestra, too. So I would practice a lot of classical pieces as well. So, you know, I would I would make sure that I'm, you know, shedding all of the many strokes that you use when you're playing timpani. And I mean, I was really kind of, um, for the lack of a better word, anal about it. Like, I mean, I would really try to make sure that my hands were striking the drum properly and that I would kind of try to hit, <clears throat> excuse me, in the same place every time if I'm trying to get a consistent sound. And, um, you know, being in an orchestra as well helped. I was playing in the, um, in the Philadelphia youth orchestra. And so, you know, we'd have a certain repertoire that like we had to play, of course, like in, especially specifically, um, Brahms one. And I was the second, in line tempanist in that at that time so like there's there's a piece in the beginning where it's literally just quarter notes or or half notes i believe boom don't don't and i mean don used to be so hard on me about my strokes because i would always you know my stick would always slide to the right or slide to the left or i'd do like a hesitation stroke before i hit the drum and mm -hmm. he he would always stress about um fluidity and, and legato strokes. And I still believe that, you know, I, I try to play with legato strokes to this day. So I'd work on legato strokes. I'd work on striking place on the drum. Um, I'd work on uh, hand speed a lot as well, because I was really into that. I loved Dennis Chambers. I loved Tony Royster. You know, I loved um, Dave Weckl. I loved all these people. So they played really fast, and I wanted to play really fast. So right. <laughs> I would sit down with a metronome, you know, I started like 90 and I'd try to go up to as high as I could. Usually I'd kind of peak off at like 200, 220, something like that, playing like 16th notes. So, yeah, it just wouldn't it wouldn't go any further. Like my hands would die on me. But, um, yeah, then I kind of got into DCI as well. So then I started shedding like Santa Clara Vanguard, which was like my favorite 
drumline in the world. Like, uh, I would start shedding their double beat that uh, I think his name is Murray Gusek mm-hmm. made. And, I mean, that was like my everyday thing. I'd be up until like, you know, three, four o'clock in the morning having to go to school the next day, shedding double beat because I thought it was so cool because I watched it on the Vic Firth, um, like, the, like the In The Lot videos that they had post every DCI championship. Right. And, um, yeah, that was kind of my practice regimen, man. Like, I'd shed some records. I'd play some DCI stuff. I'd work on technique, like trying to have just a clear understanding as to like, you know, what my hands are capable of doing and what I should and should not try. And honestly, what I suck at, because that's what my practice regiment was back then. Like I'm, I'm terrible at playing, excuse me, brushes. I need to, I need to work on this. You know, I'm terrible at sight reading. I need Mm -hmm. to work on this. And so I'd, I'd write a list out of all of my problem areas and I'd try to work on them. I think that's one of the main things where, and we talk, you know, we talk about practice a lot on the podcast that, Mm -hmm. that a lot of times people, whether they do it consciously or subconsciously go into the practice room and feed their ego. So they play the things that feel good or they play the things that they like to play because it's hard. It's hard. It's not very fun to play things that you're not good at. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And, but that's the biggest area for growth. And that's the, you know, that's sort of the, the secret to really accelerating fast. Like I had Thomas Lang on here and he was talking about wow. how people just completely waste time in the practice room. And mm-hmm. he was like, they may go in for an hour or two and they're actually only getting five or 10 minutes of real practice, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I, but I, I like the idea of what you said about, okay, let me write down all of my problem areas. Let mm-hmm. me, let me figure out and then just knock one off the list after another. Right. Or at least attempt to. Cause I mean, right. The other element of it is, and then this is something that I still have to remind myself of, is that it's a process. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like, if you're able to just conquer everything that you suck at in one day, please give me the formula. Because right. it's, I mean, it, it, sometimes it's the rest of your life for some things. Like, you know, for example, right now, one of the things I'm focusing on is the ride symbol pattern. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like having my ride as like the driving force of the band that I'm playing in rather than the drums being the driving force. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. I mean, people literally dedicate their entire lives to doing that. Right. And for me to think that I'm going to get it in like, you know, a couple months because I shed it a few Tony Williams records, it doesn't work that way. So, <laughs> so I mean, yeah. Can you just like take a pill or something or like something? Dude, if only, man. That, that movie with, uh, what is it, Bradley Cooper, um, where he takes that pill and he's just like yeah. heightened all of a sudden, like he speaks six languages and whatnot. Yeah. If that were possible without the after effects, <laughs> you'd be I, in. I, I, well, I, I'd, I'd, I'd at least consider it. And oh, I was going to say something about about the practicing aspect of it and uh, and sucking. Where was I going? Oh, I had I had a point, or I was going to ask you about something, and I totally I totally just blanked on. It. I'm going to have to cut this out of the interview because oh no worries we we, we we all blank. What the hell was I going to ask you? We were talking about. Uh, we're talking about practicing sucking the process uh oh that's what i was okay and we'll leave this in whatever people know that uh, you know my brain my brain stops working once in a while so do you find it harder as the better you become do you find it harder to accept that process like like from an ego standpoint like man i should already be able to play this well not so much that it's just that you know i mean i hear so many great drummers 
And I'm always wondering, like, man, you know, I wish I could get that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, not necessarily being envious, but admiring their capabilities. Like, for example, you know, like Brian Blade, Tony Williams, uh, Elvin Jones. Like, and I say those three in particular because they have really great symbols. I mean, other cats do, of course. And I, I listen to Frankie Dunlap. I listen to Shadow Wilson. Like, you know, I try to check out Specs Right. Like, I check out the older cats. But these particular three, they have this touch where it's like they tap the symbol and it's just like, oh. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mr. Al Foster, when he touches the symbol, it's like, yep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you know, Mr. Jimmy Cobb, like all of the legends that are still alive, Mr. Roy Haynes, like, you know, like they touch the symbol and it's just like, yep, that's that record from 1962, right. you know, mm-hmm. and, woo, man, I remember he did that in 55. Like, I mean, it's just like, it just comes out. And I just want to be able to just have a, a, a just an ounce of that touch. You know, I mean, just to be able to hit the symbol and there's such a beautiful tone that comes out of it, regardless of the symbol that I'm playing. Right. Because that's the other thing. I've seen them all play on like somebody else's stuff because maybe, you know, their symbols got lost or whatever the case may have been. And it's just like, yeah, that's Roy Haynes. Still, <laughs> like, still sounds like Roy Haynes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's deep. And, and, and that process is frustrating because. There are certain things you start hearing now that you can kind of hear certain elements of music a little bit better than you could before. You start hearing things and it's like, man, I I wish, dang, I, I, I want to get to that place, you know, because you, especially playing in a band like Branford's, it's like all of these dudes are at such a high musical level. Like, I mean, they have this, this they have this really, really um, mature, advanced perspective on how to how to apply musical ideas. And it's just like, man, you know, I hear them quoting, you know, a Miles Davis-ish type of thing, like, you know, a live at Plug Nickel type of thing happening. And I'm like, oh, man, I suck. I can't get I can't get in that space, you know, because you want to go there and try, and try to play a little bit like Tony, but it's like, right. ah, no, I'm not there yet. You know, and you attempt, because I'll go for it. I have no issues with messing up at all. Right. It's like, if I screw up, I screw up, I'll fix it. And one thing is I try to be a man of my word in that sense. It's like when someone tells me to check out something like, you know, Joey and and all of the bandmates have always been very uh, strict about like, you know, my ride symbol pattern. And they would tell me what records to check out and, you know, just different perspectives on, you know, where the time should lay. And I would check it out. And I still do. Because, I mean, I struggled a, a long time with... um and this goes back to the idea of me being able to kind of get things quickly. I struggled with, um, and sometimes I still struggle with the idea of like there being through three layers and, you know, you get to the surface and you're like, okay, yeah, let's go a little bit deeper. And you get to like the surface and now you're at the core and then you're, you get to like the top of the core and you're like, okay, I don't feel like digging anymore Mm -hmm. because I'm working and I could easily work for the well i could potentially work for the rest of my life playing the way that i play but there's always that person that goes to that next place and i believe tony and elvin and these drummers that we that we listen to and that we love get to that next place so for you is it that you don't want to or don't feel like you can sometimes i didn't feel like i could yeah i mean i i used to kind of I wasn't insecure about my playing. I've always been very grateful for the gift that I had, which allowed me to 
to feel as though I'm capable of doing things. But yeah, I would sometimes wonder if it was possible or I didn't feel like putting in that much work because, well, honestly, I was being I was being cocky because I was a jerk when I was in college. So, right. Yeah, I was totally being cocky at one point. Like what? It was the worst. And I and I got my behind handed to me. You oh, know, yeah. By all oh, totally by many musicians, Terry Lynn Carrington, Ralph Peterson. When I was in college, I went to Berkeley College of Music. They, I mean, Ralph will do that to you. <laughs> Ralph was just like, dude, first of all, never let anybody put you on your back. I'm like, yes, sir. I got you. <laughs> and I mean, you know, Terry Lynn, I remember she she snapped on me. She said, dude, would you stop playing triplets? I'm like, what do you mean? She was like, it's it's apparent that you've only checked out Evan, Elvin Jones. There are so many other drummers that you can check out. I'm like, oh, man. Really? Okay, I'm sorry. And, and you know, Bradford has snapped on me before. Like, you know, he went off on me. We did this gig in um, London. And he said, man, whatever you do, man, he said, never play for the musicians that are in the room. And I'm like, well, why? He said, well, if they're drummers, he said, they can't hire you. He said, and two, they came to see us play. He said, this is music. This is not a circus or a fanfare. He said, he said, you're not here to please them. You're here to entertain and create music. And most importantly, create music. So he said, man, don't you ever play any of that nonsense that you played on my stage again. Because hmm. I, I literally set up the drum set of life. Like three racks, two floors, two <laughs> snares. I think I had like 10 cymbals, like ozone stacked on top of everything. But I mean, it was deep. It was really deep. And I've never done that again, fortunately. So, I mean, yeah, once I realized that that I had the support system and once I realized that I had all of the material that I really needed, I just actually had to do the work. It kind of put me into this place now that I'm in. It's just like, OK, I need to shed. I need to shed. I need to shed. Even if it's just all shedding while I'm on the plane listening to records. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a vital part of my day at this point. Hmm. So you are feeling like now you're going deeper. Well, now I don't have a choice because, I mean, you know, the beautiful part about the cast that I that I have the opportunity of playing with, um, they're going deeper and they're in their 40s, 50s and 60s and they're still learning. Right. You know, it's like because there's a lot of guys that are willing to just kind of, you know, let go of the reins and it's like, all right, whoop. Well, I've recorded all of these records. I've done well in my life. Uh, cool. I don't have to share anymore because I'm me. And it's just like, I hope to never get to that place. Right. And, you know, to see Branford and the guys, I'll never forget we were driving somewhere. And I mean, to see like literally some of the greatest human beings on their instrument just geek out over like an actual recorded studio recording of Ahmad Jamal. And I mean, you know, hearing Eric you know, love the way Israel Crosby played, hearing Joey and Bradford admire Majamal and all of us collectively snapping out over Vernel Fonier's playing. It was like, man, these men are like, you know, I mean, it's it's like they're getting Christmas gifts as children. It's mm-hmm. deep. Yeah. And for them to still be in that place and for me to think that I'm good enough ever in life to not shed anymore or to not practice and not really still dig deeper into the tunes that I'm checking out and to the records that I'm listening to and the books that I'm reading or the movies that I'm watching. I mean, all of it goes hand in hand. It's so interesting. Once you start to sort of go down that path. And like you said, you get, you know, get your ass handed to you a few times and you're like, Oh, okay, let me, there's more to this than, than all of this surface stuff. And I, 
and correct me if I'm wrong or tell me if I'm if I'm uh, making an incorrect assumption. But part of it is like when once you get to a certain point and maybe this happened with you where you were saying you don't know if you can get there, like you don't know if you can get to that deeper spot. And it's almost it becomes like this fear of like, well, what happens if I spend all this time and put all this effort in trying to get there and I don't. And it's almost easier to not try at all because then you can just be like well i didn't really i know why i didn't get there because i never really tried i think that's scarier or that's easier than than doing it the other way of trying to get there and never getting there you know i mean i agree with that to a certain extent like i think mine kind of stemmed from the millennial disease which is like instantaneous success right (laughs) it's like you know everybody you know, I'm seeing all of my friends playing with all these people. I'm like, oh, man, I need to get to that deeper level. Need, need to get to that deeper level. And it's like, you know, you shed hard for like a week. And then you're like, oh, man, nothing is happening. <laughs> it's, it's like, right. You know, I mean, that was really my I should thing. be killing it by now. Dude, exactly. It's like I man, put a whole week into this. It's like, man, I just saw my boy play on the VMAs. Like, man, I'm sitting here putting in all of this work. And I'm, I'm not playing at the VMAs. It's like, well, maybe that's not for you. Right. You know, and I mean, and I'm and I'm a believer in, you know, seasons. It's like whatever your season is, it's for you. You mm-hmm. know, like like I know so many of my friends that, you know, when I first started touring, they were so dark towards me because, you know, they were in New York and they were struggling and they were like, man, you know, you, you don't really know what the New York scene is about. And I'm like, you're right. I don't. I'm like, I, I haven't really spent a lot of time in New York. And I'm like, you know. I'm sorry if that offends you, but this is my season to do what I'm doing. And, you know, I may move to New York. I may not. I have no idea. I'm very comfortable in Philly. I'm playing and, you know, I'm happy with my path at the moment that God has kind of ordained for me. That kind of that God has ordained for me. So, um, yeah, you know, it was kind of frustrating when I, I didn't get the results that I felt as though I deserved, which is another thing. I had to humble myself. It's like, man, you don't deserve anything. It's like, man, shed and shed because you want to, not because you're trying to get to something and that's the only reason. It's like you also love playing the drums. Right. And it's more of enjoying the process. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and it's frustrating, of course. You know, I know a lot of drummers that, you know, are doing these Instagram videos and like they're they're getting like, you know, 500 likes. And I mean, 500, uh, they have like 500,000 um, followers and they have no gigs. And I'm like, and, 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 like, and like my boys are like, I, I know guys that are angry with them. I'm like, man, you know, that's their path. And you know something? More power to them. They've figured out something that they love doing. Man, I salute all the cats that are doing that. It's like, man, mm-hmm. that, is, that is your path. That is your niche. You know, I mean, some people could be mad at me for playing jazz and leaving gospel music or, you know, leaving R&B. I didn't leave anything. It's just like right. I'm playing jazz. I'm doing my thing. Right. And it's my path. You know, like there's a drummer in Philly, Trey Lambert. He's doing so well. He and I went to high school together. Like, you know, he's playing with all, all of the big artists now. Like he plays with uh, just recently did the VMAs with Future. Mm-hmm. He just did. Um, he's playing with Jasmine Sullivan. He's the music director for Flow Tree. Like he's he's doing his thing. And to see a young guy that's like he's now he's only a year younger than I am to see a young guy in my generation doing his thing like i mean i went to school with some of the craziest drummers in the music and in the jazz industry at least like i mean i'm around such great musicians justin tyson i mean how could i be jealous or unhappy 
for what they're doing. Like, I mean, honestly, it's motivation for me to keep pushing and dig deeper because I know that they're doing the same thing, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. so being around cats like that motivates me to just really, to, to dig deeper. Like I, I, I look for inspiration everywhere. Right. I, that reminds me of when uh, I was talking to Gerald Hayward and he sort of was like, look, wow. he's like some, you know, like your path may be like you said to be playing on the VMAs and the Grammys and doing these big tours. He's like, but that may not be your path and that's cool. And you need to sort of not accept it, but, but accept it, you know, and, and go on the path that is yours. And like the guys that are on Instagram and, and some people are in the drumming business, but they're not in the music business. Right. And some people are in the music business, not in the drumming business. And there's, and I, I, this is a long way of saying that I agree with you that, that, you know, choose choose what's your like for me like i toured you know for a while and everything and not that i'm not trying to talk about me but like mm-hmm. but my thing is like i love i love the business side of things and i love drummer's resource and i still play and all that but but for me it's like i need a couple different irons in the fire mm-hmm. you know what i mean and it's like it took me a while to accept that so mm-hmm. it's it's uh it's an interesting just a, an interesting thing to to notice about how many different sort of segments there are inside of inside of playing, you know, or inside of the music business or the drumming business or whatever you're doing. It's like, yeah, just find, find what works for you or find, you know, find the thing that, uh, that, that drives you. Right. I agree. So what do you you think? Uh, I mean, you're still, how old are you now? 25, 26? Yep. 25 turning 26 in March. Right. So, and you've, I mean, you've already had a great career, a storied career. Do you consider yourself a prodigy? Did you consider yourself a, a child prodigy or? I mean, you know, I've had people call me that, but I've never really, um, I, I just, I, I try not to give myself titles, honestly. Right. I mean, you know, it's like people call me things now. It's like, oh, you're the second coming up. Like, okay, no, no. I mean, that's awesome that you feel that way. And, you know, a lot of, a few of the people that have said these things are, you know, like really credible sources. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, wow, that's, that's awesome that you feel that way. I don't, especially when I go practice, but. Uh, yeah, cool. Like, I don't, I don't try to classify myself as anything. Like, I know one thing that I'm a musician and I've been grateful to kind of feel that though, that I've gone more so with my music. You know, I feel like I've gone, sorry about that. I feel like I've gone with my musical instincts more so than, you know, like trying to prove how technically proficient (laughs) I am on, on my instrument. And I think from day one, that's kind of been my thing because of the influences I've had. Right. You know, the musicians, like, I mean, I, I had a, I have a great relationship with the drummer Bernard Purdy, who was like quintessentially the funkiest dude alive. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I mean, like, he literally plays music only. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. he has, he has chops, he has all of that stuff, but he plays music. You know, like, I mean, Dennis Chambers watching watching him play with, you know, John Schofield and all these people, and then watching him also play with the P-Funk All-Stars. It's like, how did he go from, like, playing all of this stuff on drum videos? Like, the the, the show In the Pocket. I mean, the uh, the, the, the the tape In the Pocket, because I had it right. on VHS. I'm like, man, how are you able to do all of this and then literally just sit in the groove on these P-Funk All-Star uh, concerts that I've seen on YouTube. And I'm like, this is sick. And so, you know, I feel like these people have classified themselves as musicians, you mm-hmm. know, not necessarily like 
drum gods, which a lot of them are, you know, and I mean, I've, I've always liked the idea of following after that path, not classifying myself as anything, but being sure that I'm being true to who I am as a person, which mm-hmm. is a human being, a musician that loves music. And, you know, the one thing that I will classify is I'm a jazz drummer. I, right. I, I am dedicating my life to playing jazz. I love everything else. I play everything else and decent enough to do a gig, but I'm a jazz drummer. Right. <laughs> you know, right. So. No, that makes sense. And the reason why I asked that is because your story reminds me of Joey DeFrancesco's story. So like I grew up in like in the, in the DeFrancesco sort of school. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm close with those guys and just reminds me of the story of Joey, like playing with Miles Davis when he was 16 and, mm-hmm. you know, start his dad, quit his career to sort of to not quit his career, but sort of pseudo retired to take care of Joey because he was so young and mm-hmm. sort and came up through jazz and everything. It just reminded me of that. And Joey's always been labeled as a, you know, as a prodigy and he's still, I mean, he's still young. He's only 45. Right. You know what right. I mean? So, and he was doing, he started, you know, at such a young age and every, and that's why I asked because he's, you know, he's referred to as a prodigy and I, I mm-hmm. think that your stories are similar in the same idiom and all that. So, you know, that's why no, I, I understand. I understand. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to label you. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, all good. It's all good. So what else, what do you got going on now that you want people to know about? And do you, do you teach privately? Is there a way that people can connect with you? Uh, what do you yeah. got going on? Yeah, um, well, two things are happening. Um, one, I'm definitely playing a lot, which is really awesome. Um, and I am teaching now. Um, I'm going to open up that um, that gateway, I guess, in like in, in maybe January or something like that, simply because like these next few months are going to be pretty hectic. But um, and I'm also thinking about doing the cyber teaching element over Skype and you know, other video platforms. Um, yeah. And I also have a music festival in Philadelphia that my mother and I put together and, um, excuse me, it's promoting nonviolence in the community. And also, um, we're providing, uh, free music lessons for, uh, students. And if not free, somewhat subsidized. And what we we're basically service, uh, serving as a hub, to refer students to different music schools in the area. And if we are able to acquire the funds, we try to give them a scholarship to cut down the cost as much as possible for them to study at those particular schools. And we're nice. also, and we also have, um, we've been getting a lot of instrument donations. So we're, uh, we're figuring out ways of just putting these instruments in kids' hands, you know, free of right. charge. And, you know, the only thing that we ask is that, the student continues with playing, you know, even if they don't become a professional musician, I just believe that it helps the thought process and, and logical reasoning, um, in a child's life early on. So, um, well, let me, I mean, let me know how I can help with that too, because we have, I mean, we have this audience through drummers resource and you know, I'm a, I'm a Philly guy. I would love to somehow be a part of that or help in any way that I can. So let me know. You know, we'll do. We, we can talk offline and figure out if there's anything I can do to help or anything you need or anything. Absolutely, man. And we're called the uh, Community Unity Music Festival. Um, and uh, yeah, I can I can give you all of the links to you know our website and also the links to um, my um, email and Facebook and 
all of that stuff. Okay. We can we can handle that. Um, and I'll put all this in the show notes too, so that way okay. that everybody's listening can just head over and and get all the links and all that stuff too. Okay, sweet. And also the other thing that I'm doing is I am loving hearing my little brother play the drums and bass. I I gotta talk about him for a second. Do he it. is sick. I mean, it's yeah, it's scary. How old 16. is he? He's 16 now. Yeah. And I mean, the dude is just like, yeah, it's scary. Like, I mean, there's videos on YouTube and I mean, uh, he, he plays pretty often in Philly these days. What's his name? Nazir Ebo. And yeah, like, I mean, he's playing at South often. He's playing all around Philly. He plays my gigs when I can't make them. Um, yeah, man, he, he plays classical and electric bass, like, so, uh, uh, upright and electric bass, and he's, he's just nasty, man. <laughs> it's really cool. Nice. And I, and I have to give a shout out to him, because he's a big inspiration for me. Like, you know, on a daily basis, I come home, he's just, he's just like, man, you know, have you checked out this record? I'm like, where'd you find this? <laughs> well, you know, man, I just, I went on this website, and, you know, they had it on there, and they said it was like, you know, a 99 cent download and you know i just took your card and, and went and bought i was like oh yeah, thanks yeah. <laughs> awesome. oh so it's my record actually <laughs> i'm like i'm like cool yeah, exactly i'm like man so did you uh and i mean actually these days he's figured out like really savvy ways of doing it and also respecting the integrity of you know this musician's property like he finds a way to pay for it especially like you know on band camp where it's like pay whatever you want or pay nothing at all right He he's always the dude that gives for you know this this um this product that this person has put out so i mean i he's he, he's inspiring which is cool especially someone someone at his age right you know what i mean to do that and i'll i'll put some of his youtube videos up on up on the show notes too so that sweet, sweet. So that people can check it out uh so yeah and all the everything like all the links to your facebook email and all that stuff make sure that i get those and then i can post it up for everybody to check out too and justin man thank you for for taking the time to chat. I appreciate it. And especially, I love having my, my Philly people on here. Absolutely, man. Homeboy, <laughs> indeed, bro. And thank you for having me, man. This is this is awesome. Like, to be, to be on here with, like, all of these great cats. Like, I'm just, yeah, I'm honored, dude. Thank well, you. Well, you're, you're up there with them, too, man. And so, and I want to know when you're coming to New York. And, and uh, I'll check you out while you're here or come see you in Philly or something. So Okay, sweet. Good deal. Cool, Indeed, man. Th- man. Thank you so much again. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. All right, dude. Have a great right. one. So there he is, Justin Faulkner. I hope you enjoyed that. And as you can see, the dude knows his stuff. And I, you know, I hope that you go and listen to some of his playing. He, I, I can't say enough good things about it. He's just an amazing player, humble, uh, all that, and definitely shared some, some great stories and some great knowledge. And for the links to Justin and the charities that we talked about and all the, all the links and people that we talk about inside the podcast, you can find them at drummersresource.com forward slash session 212, just the numbers 212. And for every podcast that I've done, there are show notes and there's links and you can get in there and you can comment. And I'd love to see some more comments on the threads in, in drum or on drummersresource.com. I'd love to hear your feedback, your opinions and things like that. So you can leave comments for any one of the podcasts. And until the next one, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.